Hey everybody, welcome to the Legacy Podcast with Caitlin James. I'm Caitlin, I'm your host, and I am so excited to do something a little different. So Chrissy and I have been friends for a very long time. I met Chrissy when I was in college um, at Christopher Newport University. She was good friends and in the same friend group with my husband, Michael. So she's two years older, she's Michael's age. Um, But I just remember, and I'm going to embarrass Chrissy a little bit, I just remember... (laughs) There was this older group of girls that they were just, oh, I just, I loved them. I just like wanted to be like them. They were so, they loved the Lord, but they also were just so cool to me. So I was like this younger, like freshman, loved like looking up to this junior group of girls. But what's so awesome is just, we ended up being in a similar small group, um, an actual like very small, small group. Um, and that's where I really felt like I got to know Chrissy and we, um, actually Brandon and Chrissy were like the original, like KJ couple, like before I really had anything going for me, they trusted me, which I still can't believe you did. Chrissy, that's amazing. (laughs) But you trusted me with your wedding photos when I didn't really have anything to show like that I was actually a legit photographer, but people loved you. You guys are both so photogenic. And so I really credit a lot of my success to how photogenic my first true KJ couple was. So thank you for that. (laughs) (laughs) Not at all. I have to tell you that. um, So my husband, Brandon, his dad is a photographer. And when he saw the pictures that you took of our engagement photos, he was like, Oh my goodness. I didn't know you were, your friend was going to be so amazing. This is awesome. So he, he gave the sign of approval and we knew we were, we were good to go. Well, that I, he is an amazing like landscape nature photographer. So I, I remember you saying that like early on and I was like, oh my gosh, I think I have a fan. I have one fan. <laughs> this is great. Um, but that is kind of, you know, in a nutshell, there's so many other stories, but our relationship goes back um, pretty much over a decade and I'm, mm-hmm. yeah, definitely over a decade because Michael yeah. and I have been married for 10 years mm-hmm. on, this October. So yeah. Oh my gosh. Over a decade. And we y'all graduated college. You you were the first couple in our group of friends to get married. We were we were like so excited. We're like, oh my gosh, one of our friends is actually getting married. It was such a big deal. And then you and Brandon like just started off the early years of your marriage like on the adventure of a lifetime. And you actually moved overseas. So if you want to share a little bit about your your newlywed story and how you ended up um moving and starting a life that eventually led to kind of how you are involved with Beauty for Ashes, which is an organization that we're going to introduce and talk more about later on. But if you want to explain that, it just will give everyone a little bit of a background of how you came to be where you are. Yeah, thank you. So when we got married, Brandon and I both really wanted to live internationally and just be in a different context, a different culture. And so we looked through a couple different mission organizations and nothing like the doors weren't really opening. And so we had a good family friend who was living in Morocco and teaching there. And Brandon, right out of college, he got his teaching certificate and had begun teaching in Baltimore city. And so we thought, well, we already know somebody over in Morocco there's a school that's, it's an English speaking school. And so he applied to teach there and Mm -hmm. I kind of didn't really know where I might fit. And so we just talked to the school and said, if you can find a position for me within the school, then we will, you know, we'll come 
And they did. They found kind of a part-time position and squeezed me in. And so we just packed up our bags and we went over to Morocco. And the plan, the initial plan was to be there for two years. And we ended up being there for eight. So we just fell in love with the place, the culture, the people, uh, even the location, because it, it, it there's so many opportunities to travel when you're in North Africa because you're pretty close to a lot of different countries. And we, yeah, we loved it so much. We had our children there and I ended up being able to stay home with our kids and Brandon continued working at the school there. And uh, we just had such a, a heart for the place and for the people. And I've always really just had a passion for the marginalized and those that go Mm -hmm. unnoticed and, and giving them a voice where they don't have a voice. And so throughout the whole process, I I had the opportunity to do a lot of different things in Morocco. I worked with some refugees and I was able to work with young people and, and of course people at the school with uh, young kids and youth and So there was just a lot of different opportunities that I had there. But one thing that has always been so um, just kind of specific in my heart is to work with victims of trafficking. And and so in Morocco, it's kind of an interesting scenario because it's not talked about very much. There wasn't even a context for the definition of human trafficking, even if you said slavery, slavery. immediately, you know, the the conversation went to years and years ago, it it wasn't something that was a current existence. And so uh, it was an interesting thing to try to get involved in because there was no context for it, although it was happening all around. And so really, when you start to realize that a culture doesn't even have the language to describe something that is going on, you know, something that's really horrific that's happening around you, you don't have language to put to it to say this is wrong. And so there's not even, you know, there wasn't even necessarily laws that were saying these things are wrong. And so uh, that's kind of what I came up against. And to make a long story short, I had a good friend who was in in Morocco and she was in a different city than I was. And she had a similar heart to, to do something about trafficking. And she wanted to start a transition home that would be a home for girls who were vulnerable to being trafficked and to being exploited. And so her and I kind of teamed up and the way just, you know, God works and he puts people together. uh, We, teamed up at the same time and just felt like we were supposed to do something about this in Morocco. And so I was able to just, um, even from a different city, we both started working on this issue and I was working more on the awareness and education piece of it and working Mm -hmm. more with, within, uh, I don't want to say the government, but just kind of within the legal system and other organizations. And then She was starting the transition home and was able to open. We opened our home in 2018 in January. Wow. Oh, my gosh. That's the really quick version. (laughs) Yes, but I love it because I love it because that's not you didn't head over there because you knew this was your mission. It's something that you became passionate about because you recognized the need 
And I think what struck me the most, I'm like writing things down. What struck me the most um, is when, and you, and we've talked about this prior, um, which we'll get into that later, but I was shocked when you said, you know, like there's just not even a language and there's not even, there's no laws against it. There's just no conversation about what, what is so wrong. And I, I think though, that even in America until recently, um, even, even in my own life, I have recognized that like human trafficking, I don't truly, I I didn't, and I still don't have a full grasp of what it can entail and what it can look like. And honestly, once you start being exposed to like definitions and examples and seeing what some people know exist, you know, people who are fighting this constantly, you start to realize, oh my gosh, this is bigger than I thought. Like this, mm-hmm. I don't know exactly what I had in mind when I thought hum, like thought about human trafficking, but in my mind, I envision like literally like people selling people for horrible reasons. And like, mm-hmm. but when you really break it down to the level of like, what does this look like in 2020? You start to realize like, oh my gosh, it is so easy for people to be so evil. And they, mm-hmm. and there's so many people being so evil. And so I'd love to have, if, because you're, you are in this work and you have experienced just this perspective from not just, but not an American perspective, but overseas, I think your definition and your way of explaining to someone who has no idea what human trafficking is would be really beneficial. So if you had to tell someone and explain to someone in a few minutes, you know, what would you define as human trafficking? What would you say? Right. Well, you know, it is, I'm so glad you asked because it is a complex term and there Mm -hmm. is a lot of gray area around it. So the way I would describe it is, first of all, it's modern day slavery. So if you think of slavery that Mm -hmm. used to exist, it is essentially people who are being forced or through coercion or fraud are being forced into involuntary servitude of some kind. And that can look so many different ways. It doesn't mm-hmm. necessarily look like we we have that image in our mind that we learned in school. Uh, you know, people are working the fields and they're being forced to work. So it isn't right. always like that. And it, even though that does still exist in today's world, surprisingly, mm-hmm. you would think we're like right. past that, but we're not. Right, and right. so... That still happens, but uh, the leading form of trafficking that happens today is sex trafficking. And Mm -hmm. it is roughly 80% of all human trafficking, all slavery around the world is happening to women and children, and they're being forced into sexual acts. And so um, that is the leading one. The next one would be forced labor. So anytime someone's being forced to work and they're not getting compensated, uh, they're probably in bad living situations, a lot of times that type of thing, the way that they're controlled is they, you know, people, the traffickers will take their identification. They'll take their, um, they'll either threaten or threaten their family. And so they'll, there will be a fear factor or really just an an inability for them to leave. Um, And Mm -hmm. so that's how forced kind of happens. But there are, you know what, it, it kind of still, I'm still shocked by what happens around the world. Things like child abduction. One of the up and coming things is organ theft. Who knew that oh that gosh. would be a thing? That, um, you know, people 
being taken and, and their organs specifically being harvested so that they can be sold on the black market. Uh, so oh my gosh. It, it is happening. And, and the thing about human trafficking mm-hmm. is we, we don't all have the language for it. And it's hard to grasp the, the magnitude of it. Cause I can say, mm-hmm. you know, between 20 and 45 million people around the world globally are being trafficked. And we can say that number and we can know it's a huge number, but we don't even really have a concept of how much that is. Um, right. And, right. you know, it is the fastest growing criminal industry in the world. It's a hundred fifty billion dollar a year criminal industry. And, um, you know, in the U.S., that it does, it might look a little different, but for example, a lot of that that money and where it's all starting is through the pornography industry, and right. um, and honestly, online. Like if we, if you want to get a context for what's going on in the U.S., you need to go online because that's where, especially in this COVID season, everything is happening oh, online, gosh. and the exploitation of our youth and our children online is horrific. I mean, it is really Mm. horrible. So it is, it's huge. The concept of it is huge. It's hard to put into words, but um, for simplicity's sake, it really is just modern day slavery. It's people who are being exploited and not being, they don't have a choice, essentially. Their their choice is being taken away from them. Wow. And, you know, I, I sit here and I'm like, I don't want to sound like, you know, the, the girl who I, and there's, there's no part of my life and, or my children's lives that are affected by this. And so it's easy for me to say like, oh my gosh, that's horrible. Oh my gosh, this is crazy. And I, but like, I do feel like Michael and I in the season of our business and in a season of our life, we just have felt so called to like, we we're we're not in a season where we can um i mean i'm pregnant right now we have two <laughs> tiny children mm-hmm. i can't um do crazy long mission trips or do like i can't mm-hmm. be in the field like working and i right. but i know that like there is power in support and there's power in being able to support people who are on the front lines of fighting and providing yes. resources mm-hmm. and so um I think for me, I'm just going through a personal shift of um, just trying to allow myself to learn more and to not shy away from, I mean, it's it's so easy just to not care and not care to dig in and learn because right. that is where it feels most comfortable. Mm-hmm. And it is not comfortable. A good friend of mine, um, her name's Amy Demos, had um, her 33rd birthday recently and they raised like $33,000 for... Um, I actually think they doubled that. It was like $70,000 for oh, wow. um, A21. It was amazing. Mm-hmm. Yes. And she was just sharing, you know, so many posts and some things I, I knew, but there were some things she shared from different accounts, just that making people aware of what this actually looks like. And it, I found myself clicking out of some of them because it was so disturbing. And then I was like, wait, 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 this is real. Like, how dare I click out of it? Cause I don't want to read it. This is someone's child that's being you know, exploited and, and trafficked and horrible things being said about their picture on the internet. And, um, so I'm just realizing in this season of my life, like, I just don't want to fall into the category of someone who only cares to a point where it feels comfortable. Cause I don't feel like any action is taken. And 
that concept that that kind of leads me into my next question. So when you started um, with your friend Beauty for Ashes Africa, I feel like to me, I love it because you guys are not this massive worldwide organization. You you saw a need where your life was and said, like, I'm going to do what I feel called to do in this place and in this part of the world, and I'm going to start making an impact here. And my hope is that more and more people will realize, like, that you don't have to be this massive worldwide thing to make a massive impact. And mm. I'd love to just hear um, what Beauty for Ashes in a day-to-day, like, you know, what does it look like? Um, you know, if, if there was a girl that was a part of this organization, like what does her life look like and what is Beauty for Ashes, what does that provide for her? Right. Well, that is a great question. Uh, so in a nutshell, what Beauty for Ashes does is we are seeking to end vulnerabilities for those that are at risk and restore mm-hmm. them to dignity and beauty beauty that is intended for all humans. And so for a girl in our transition home, um, I'll actually tell you a story uh, of a girl that we have. I'm going to use just, I'm going to use A as her name. Uh, okay. So if I refer to A, that's, who, that's a girl in our home. And mm-hmm. she grew up in Morocco. Her mother was a prostitute. She lived a really volatile childhood. Uh, Something unique about Morocco, just to give you a bit of a backstory, because of course there's vulnerable people around the world, you know, through education, lack of education, poverty, um, abuse, sexual abuse is like 90% of victims have experienced sexual abuse. So there's just, that's a huge vulnerability. Race and gender are vulnerabilities. So that's happening around the world. But in Morocco specifically, um, there are those vulnerabilities, but it's also increased because for specifically for girls and young children, uh, who they, if they do not have a father figure who's willing to, um, to claim them essentially. So any, any female who's a single mom or any rape victim, anything like that, that might happen. All of those children do not have legal rights in the country. They don't even have an identity Um, because through the legal system, the father is the only one who can give them um, a political representation. And so, um, so you just have, if you can imagine, just so many children who not only are vulnerable for a million other reasons, but they literally don't even have a identity within their own community and society and in their own country. Um, so that is the, this is the type of girl that, um, a kind of her background, her history, she, her mother was a prostitute. Her father was not in the picture. Um, she lived, you know, in a really volatile situation growing up. Eventually her mother left and, she was really young still, and there was actually a Spanish family who um, knew her and took her in, and they wanted to return to Spain. They needed to return to Spain, and what ended up happening is because they were not Muslim, they were not given approval to adopt her, so wow. this family had to leave the country. She had to stay. She couldn't go uh, because you know this other family wasn't 
Muslim. And so then she was taken to this government center. Now, the government center there is a mix between like a detention center and an orphanage. It's kind of like whoever, even maybe a bit of a mental institution, like whoever they, they're not mm-hmm. sure what to do with, they go to this center. So she wow. was taken there and, um, and she is sort of going to school throughout the process. But what happens is once they turn 18, they have to leave the government center. The government center will no longer allow them to stay. And so mm-hmm. these children at 18 with little, little education, no family to claim them, no identity and no way to get a real job. Um, nowhere to go to have food and shelter. They walk out the doors of this center and the traffickers know this and they literally stand outside the doors of this government center. And so, yeah, so she uh, went, you know, she was in the government center. She turned 18 and uh, luckily she uh, had a few friends that she was able to stay with initially. And uh, in the meantime, my friend Lauren, who's the founder, and she opens this transition home. So she was one of our first girls. She was the mm-hmm. first girl in our transition home that was able to come. Wow. And so we were able to take her in. And so mm-hmm. she has now she has a home. She has a community because we we have a house mom and and other girls like herself who are with living with her. They receive counseling. They fit, we help them finish their education, and then we also our goal is not just to help you know reduce their vulnerabilities, but we want to actually restore them to the dignity and the identity that they have. And so she right. really wanted to be, become a lawyer so she could help girls like herself and mm-hmm. in the legal system. And so. We helped her get into law school, and she actually just graduated a few months ago from law school. And so, yeah, so now she is, she's able to live on her own, and she has a law degree. And um, it's, I mean, this is, this, we love this, because this is what we are about, because this is a girl who was, had no options, no choices. Her only option was the street. And here- because she was given an opportunity um, and her vulnerabilities were reduced, she can become who she was meant to be, who she was created to be. And that is like the most beautiful thing. Now, on the other hand, I have the same, you know, a a similar person. Um, Her name is R that we know and we work with regularly. We do outreach on the street with those who are being prostituted currently. And, her story is really similar. She had a similar childhood. Her mother was a prostitute. She was taken from her family, put in a government center, the same kind of government center as A was. And when she aged out, because we, we were not in existence then, um, she had nowhere right. to go, was on the street, no legal way of getting a job, little education. And so she began prostituting. And she now has six children of her own, two of whom wow. are being prostituted because prostitution becomes a generational thing and poverty, you know, it's just generational. So that is, that's the other side of the story that when you don't have a choice and when you have no option to reduce your vulnerabilities, 
then you're, you aren't left with options. And so you're, you become, you know, a victim of such horrors and then their children become victims of such horrors. And so by stepping in and providing a transition home like this, we not only are, are helping one person to become who they're meant to be, but whole generations of people. Right. So what I love about, um, this work is that the transition home provides an opportunity, not just for this one person who's vulnerable to, to come and, and become who they were intended to be, but it also breaks it for entire generations for their children and their children. Right. And so yeah. by stepping in and becoming in a prevention and an intervention into these vulnerabilities, then you can in- you can really transform entire communities and entire generations. So, um, yeah, we just, that's basically that. what we do. And that, and that's what our hope is for the girls who come to our home. I love that because when you see an organization that's doing what you're doing, the cool thing is that like Michael and I love the concept of legacy and just, you know, I mean, if we're going to get personal, like I share all the time about our coaching experience and our marriage. And I'm like, if we fix things for us, it changes yeah. how Evie and how Graham and how this next child, how they will show up in their own marriages and how their children, you know, it is a a legacy we're pouring into. Um, Chrissy's husband, Brandon, um, is an amazing life coach as well. And so you guys know the power of digging into the hard stuff and how that affects the future of everyone who comes into contact with you, whether it's your family or the people you have influence over. But when you think about the, the impact of legacy and what beauty for ashes is doing, I mean, that is so powerful, you know, to have a girl that could have six children of her own half that are being prostituted versus, uh, you know, now she's a lawyer because someone told her that she had the right to be like that. That is, that's amazing. And I, I think that's a part of this that makes me so um, just excited about what you guys are doing because in my work, you know, I'm a photography educator. So I spend a lot of my time creating resources and getting to know people, our students who someone has never told them before, hey, you can do this for a living and have a life that you love. Like you can do your passion as your career, but what you guys are doing is like, it's, it's that kind of encouragement to the umph degree. Like it's telling women, you are more than just a girl without an identity in Morocco. You were, you were designed for something great. And that is so powerful. And like, even just allowing a young girl to recognize like, this is, there's more for you here. There's not this end, like line in the sand. This is as far as you can go. You were, you're going to end up just like your mom. You're going to end up just like other women in your family, like empowering them to change their storyline forever. Right. I love that because that you cannot even measure the impact of that for generations to come. Mm-hmm. Um, I also, I think something for me that sticks out is just um, that you guys, you recognize that when, when you decide and you feel convicted of something, you know, you know, you have a passion for something, you just need to start where you are and you need to start. And I mean, for us, um, we're not on the front lines, but we were praying about, uh, it started more like in May and June, but we've been thinking about this for a long time. Just like, what can Caitlin James photography do 
because we know we can do more. And maybe in this season of our life, it's financial and it's, it's lifting up our friends who are on the front lines, who are doing the hard work. But like, if you were to talk to anybody who's interested, who feels kind of like this tinge in their, this like little piece of their heart kind of twisting when they hear these things, but they're not in a position, you know, to go to Morocco, to go to the place where you're doing this service and this amazing, amazing organization. Like what could people like me uh, and people um, who have their own business, what could people do to feel like, you know, they are contributing and helping and serving in some capacity? Because I think there's a disconnect there where you can hear how awful things are and you just feel bad, but you don't know what your next step could be. Yeah, no, I love that question because I I've found myself in the same position so many times. You know, you you become aware of something, but you don't know what to do. And mm-hmm. I think you are exactly right that it starts right where you are. And mm-hmm. th- I mean, that's how we started, and we're still, you know, we are a small grassroots organization. And right. when I first got started, I was bumbling around. I, you know, what actually started right. it for me was I was working with a twenty one to bring the walk for freedom to Morocco. Yeah. Yeah. So I was trying to get that going. And in the process, I was, you know, I was talking to different government leaders to try to get approval. And one of the things that came up in the process was that I was, we weren't, you know, I wasn't an organization that was recognized in Morocco. And so they couldn't give us permission. And so they kept saying to me, why don't you start an organization that's fighting human trafficking? And I was like, mm-hmm. what? This is crazy. You know, like it, 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 it caught me off guard. But it was through yes. the process of trying to get this walk for freedom to happen in Morocco that I really realized the need was to have an organization in Morocco that was doing this work. And and that's, mm-hmm. you know, that's how things just get started. It's just that curiosity. It's that um yes. The, the choice to just go knock on the door and see if it opens, like it may be closed to you and that's totally fine. Um, and, and I think what that looks like practically is simply if you're in a position where you don't have, you don't have the time because there are so many resources we have in order to give, we can give our time, we can give our experience, we can give our, um, our money, we can give our, our love. I mean, there's just so many resources that anyone can give. And right. you you have to kind of take inventory. What do you have that you can give right now? And right now, mm-hmm. it, it might be time. Maybe you have a lot of time. And so right. that might be a worthwhile endeavor to start looking at organizations near you or look at maybe there's an organization you've heard about that you've been curious about contact them and just say what volunteer opportunities do you have um for example we have an internship that we do throughout the summer for college age students uh another volunteer opportunity would be with us would be to host a web event uh because in the u.s we like to focus on awareness and education and so focusing on on giving education and awareness to teens and parents because those are the people who are going to be vulnerable, um, specific teens. And then um, other options, if you don't have the time, then invest your money because if you've been given this, um, this financial resource, there are people that could benefit from it. And 
it, it isn't just like a, and I know you feel this way. It isn't just a writing a check. It's an investment right. in becoming a partnership to make a stand and say, this is not okay. And I'm going to do something about it. I'm going to be involved in it in this way. And it expands yeah. your impact. It will, even if it's your business, it's going to engage your customers and engage your community and it'll even grow your business because these are things that we we care about that people care about and they want to be involved in and so I just think you were exactly right just it is starting right where you are and Mm -hmm. taking inventory of what do you have to offer and find a way to offer it yeah and you know for us we I, I shared with you when we talked previously. Um, Michael and I have been researching um, a lot of different organizations around our area, just kind of um, on the East Coast. We, And for some reason in my mind, um, I thought like, well, if we're going to pour in somewhere, like it has to be close. It has to be local. And I don't know. I just, after a while, I started realizing like change is change and impact is impact and people are people. Mm-hmm. And, and I... I remember when we got off the phone talking about the opportunity that our business could have just to support you guys financially. Um, I just remember thinking to myself, like this was such an answered prayer to us because we, I just felt so certain, like this is, this is where we want to plug in. And I think everybody, if, like you said, if they allow themselves to be curious about what could be possible with their business, um, from our perspective, we're, we're always asking God, like what, you know, we're trying to impact our couple's lives and our students' lives, but is there something else for us? Is there some other way that our business could be affecting other parts of the world that we don't even fully understand and know, but we know that horrible, evil things are happening? Is there any place for us there? And um, like we would love, gosh, we would love in a non-pandemic, non-pregnant season <laughs> to go and just meet some of these amazing women who are having their lives turned around. You know, I, that would be amazing to do a trip. But I know that in this season, that's not that's not possible. Um, but I, but giving, whether it's a small amount or a, a decent amount, it mm-hmm. it doesn't matter. Like it's it's more of a heart shift for us than than anything, and you know, for Michael and I, so we are, we're excited to help Beauty for Ashes with some operational cost every month. Um, but it doesn't have to look that way for everyone. I loved just, um, just hearing I, I, for me, I'm, I love the big picture, but I also love hearing, you know, Chris, Chrissy sent us an email, um, kind of breaking down, like, what does it actually cost to make Beauty for Ashes operate? And for a lot of people, um, I think when you think about like giving and investing into organizations that are fighting, you know, huge evil things happening in the world, you don't really think about like, well, what actually happens with this money? Well, the the safe house has bills and the staff doing this work, you guys need to be able to support your families. It's helpful to be able to know like, okay, this is where the money is going. Like this is how we are empowering an organization to stay afloat um, is by taking care of some of these costs every month. And so I don't know, maybe it's the business owner in me that appreciated you guys sharing just like what needs are and what, and for specific things. Um, Mm -hmm. but it makes it more real to me almost like it, it makes me realize, okay, this money is going to do this. And, 
I want to keep growing my business to a place where I can continue to support, you know, beauty for ashes. I think about supporting you guys and our, our new commitment there as very similar to like the commitment to our employees. Like we have, we've committed to, we have a family, very family oriented business. My sister, my mom, my sister-in-law, um, we've committed to them to provide a certain amount of income and health insurance and, for Beauty for Ashes, I think it is such a great way to hold us accountable to say like we're committing to this, to this amount to you every month, um, and it's just a new piece of responsibility for KJP, and it also brings a new sense of purpose in a lot of ways, and I love that because I, we say all the time in our course, I, I end like every course that we offer by explaining that like our business and our talent and our gifts and our income were never given to us for just us. And I just feel like connecting with you, which was so random because you just like reached (laughs) out literally the week where Michael and I were like, we don't know what we're supposed to connect with. Um, But that is, it's just such a great example of like, we were, we were designed and created to use who we are to create and build I mean, in our case, businesses that will help change other people's lives. And that can look so many different ways. Like we want to change people's lives um, by empowering photographers and they can change their own communities, but also financially being able to change the lives of young, vulnerable girls on the other side of the world that we may never meet, you know? And I just want to encourage anybody who's listening, who has a business and who feels like you have a heaviness about what is happening in the world and you just feel like you can't do anything. That is, that is such a lie. And I want to encourage you and empower you to know that like it, you just have to take a first step and maybe this podcast episode can be a first step where you start realizing, you know what, I'm not going to shy away from learning or being exposed to what this part of the world looks like. Um, and when I say this part of the world, I'm not just thinking, saying Morocco, I'm saying human trafficking in general, like, um, and maybe it's, and maybe it's not even human trafficking. You know, there are so many people in the world that are hurting and so many places for people to get involved. And I think, especially this year, people have been called up to get involved and to use their voice and to use their resources to fight for good and to not let evil win. And so I'm just, very thankful and very excited about this because it's just, uh, it's something I wish we had done sooner. Um, but it's also something that I realized like this was perfectly timed and we prayed for this and the Lord totally gave us exactly like the answer of where, where we're supposed to be plugged in. And I love that it's plugged in with something that you're involved with because we trust you. We love you. And we've known you for apparently over a decade, which I wasn't aware of. Um, but I, I just, you know, when I think about your y'all's story, I think it's so cool that it's a story that started by you guys moving over there um, to experience a different culture. And it's kind of come full circle in a way that you're back in the States now, but you're still able to do the work and find support and be supporting this vision that you started when you were there. Um, and I'm just honored to be a part of it. And so I'm just thankful that you were bold enough to reach out because it's really been a fun new season for us. Well, I am so thankful to you. I just feel like it really was a God moment. And, um, you know, I'm, I'm thankful for yours and Michael's heart to truly enter into, uh, the weak and the vulnerable places. Uh, I'm thinking of Henry Nowen has, I mean, he's brilliant, but there's a, there's a quote that I love, 
that says compassion is hard because it requires the inner disposition to go with others to a place where they're weak, vulnerable, lonely, and broken. And Mm -hmm. when compassion literally means to suffer with. So Mm. this is you and Michael and us in our partnership choosing compassion to suffer Mm -hmm. with those, to pay the cost with our actions while we find ourselves in a world that is broken because we can't ignore that. And especially right now, it, it seems very much before our eyes, this brokenness. And so you're choosing and your heart is to choose with your actions what you have to invest right now, mm-hmm. which I love. Like this right. is your resource and you're choosing right. to pay that cost to have compassion on exploited people, humans. People mm-hmm. are people and they have dignity and it's intrinsic and you are being a part of um impacting them and and bringing that dignity back to them and I just I love that that is your heart and I think for all of us like we we want to ask the question are we willing to pay the cost with our actions and again it doesn't have to be a physical action to show true right. compassion and to be a part of um instilling beauty in a broken world um, and, right. and, I, and we all can have that impact. We all have the opportunity and it's, it's a matter of getting curious and figuring it out. What, what do you feel passionate about? What are you mm-hmm. being pulled towards and how can you be a part of it? Yeah. And I, I think just to kind of wrap up, I think for people who are just maybe listening and figuring out, so what is, I'm going to you know, exit out of this podcast, what does the next step look like for me? And I think from my own personal experience, it is the willingness to let yourself learn because I think a lot of people lack compassion in realms like this because the the uncomfortability of digging in and learning, like that example I gave earlier of reading statistics and example, like seeing actual examples of um, child uh, sex trafficking happening, like I didn't want to read or see any of that stuff because it's just so disturbing. But when you think about, no, like let yourself go there and let yourself dive in and be curious about what is actually happening. That is where conviction starts to grow from. And Mm -hmm. I think so many people, and I'm, I'm speaking about myself. I'm not, this isn't like talking down to anyone. It's I'm I'm speaking from my own experience. You're never going to experience compassion or any passion in general to fight against any evil that you never let yourself learn about or be interested in learning about. And I think so often, I mean, we're busy, you know, we got crazy kids, we've got a huge business to run. It's easy to not let yourself go there and to find every excuse in the book to not dive into figuring out like, what does this world even look like? And what does child sex traffic, you know, I remember someone saying, and this is awful, but I remember someone saying like, I mean, how can you sex traffic a six month old? Mm, and I'm like, mm-hmm. I honestly don't know. And then when I realize what that looks like and what people like to imagine or what they like to, that is when it started just, oh, like I have, I don't know what I'm supposed to do, but I got to do, that's where compassion starts because you start to feel the ugliness and see how just evil people can be. And that's where compassion grows from. But you don't ever get there until you realize, hey, I'm willing to to dig in a little deeper. And so, yeah. um, 
And it's, it is a horrific thing to learn about. It really is. I mean, this is the stuff that you see in movies and you're like, oh gosh, change the channel. Right. Right. But this is happening in real life. And so, um, that's my encouragement to anyone who is just listening and wondering what's next for them. Mm -hmm. I, Chrissy, I just thank you so much. I feel like, um, I feel like the Lord has naturally just put the curiosity and the passion like rooted it deep within you and Brandon. And it's just this natural part of who you are. Whereas for us, like I am passionate and I know the Lord uses us in different ways, but I have to fight for that. Like I have to really push deeper um, where it comes more naturally to some people. Um, And so I just thank you guys for being just so true to how the Lord made you because it is been, it's inspirational to us and it challenges us probably in a way that you'll never know. So I just am thankful for that. And Super thankful for this conversation. (laughs) We feel the same way about you. I think the way that you both choose to um, pursue your business and um, pursue the Lord in your business and and just be so faithful in that is hugely inspirational. I know it is to so many people around you and the people that you even work with. And so I want to thank you for doing the same. And I think that's what's beautiful is that we are all unique. Like we're uniquely gifted. We're uniquely created and we all have something to offer. And Mm -hmm. so I'm excited about that. And I was just thinking, as you were saying, uh, just to learn a little bit more and to Mm -hmm. kind of grow that compassion. I was just thinking of a few resources for anyone who's listening who maybe is wondering, okay, I want to learn a little more. Where do I go? Uh, specifically for those who are passionate about photography, I would recommend watching Born Into Brothels. It's a documentary about a woman who who loved photography and she went to India mm-hmm. and used her photography to bless the children that were born in the brothels there. And wow. so that's a great documentary uh, in yes. photography passion. But also another great documentary if you're if you're willing to go into kind of seeing some of that hard stuff is called nefarious merchant of souls and that actually mm. focuses a bit more in the US uh so that might be interesting to some people um yes. and then another real simple one that's going to be a bit more just like these are the statistics and what's going on around the world would be the UN uh trafficking in persons report you could literally just type that in to Google and it's going to come up and they, they do it every year. So you can find out what's going around, going on in trafficking in any country in the world, um, right there in that trafficking in persons report. Wow. I did not know you could look that up, which you would think that that would be more known, right? That you could see numbers like that. Thank you so much. No, that is great. And we will, um, we'll link this, um, in the show notes that people have easy access, but, um, and also, uh, link Beauty for Ashes um, website and Instagram, just so you guys can be aware of um, how to learn more about what they're doing um, and how to just learn more about technically where, if you're a student of ours, where some of your money is going and which is awesome. You know, I love, I love that. So you buy a course and you're, you're supporting cool things that are happening overseas, which is awesome. So Chrissy, thank you so much for doing yes, this. And thank you so much um, for having me on here as a guest. I love yeah. it. Well, I, um, I'm going to wrap this up, but basically everyone who has 
been listening. Thank you for tuning in. And I, I know this is a little longer, but I'm a talker and I, I have lots of questions. And so, um, but if you have any questions, feel free to email us. Um, but I also, if it's okay with you, Chrissy, I'll link um, the website with your contact information and they can get in touch with you as well. But thank you so much. And um, I just hope you guys, anyone listening that has more curiosity um, or wants to dive in will take action and not forget what you felt um, learning and hearing um, about Chrissy's experience and just what's going on in the world. So don't be afraid to take action because we all start somewhere. Thanks for tuning in.